in the uh, talk yesterday uh, afternoon with you. I made uh, reference to these four primary areas for that which nourishes us as human beings. Reference was made as well that nourishment is both for others, people, animals and environment, and uh, also for ourselves, and one doesn't come before uh, the other. With the uh, four areas, uh, each one of them truly worth remembering, uh, bearing in mind, inwardly and uh, outwardly. So the initial is with regard to uh, diet, food, and not only what we eat, it really is worthwhile reflecting upon and just seeing in our day-to-day life that we are quietly committed with ourselves, perhaps with our families and uh, others, that everything that we eat is nourishing and healthy and uh, uh, supportive and it's out of consideration for health, it's out of consideration for uh, the environment of uh, creatures, uh, land, water and air. And that's a real uh, priority with regard to what we put into the mouth. It also applies in uh, other areas uh, as, as well and that, that uh, as we do engage on the retreat it's a commitment to um, the mindfulness not only in the meal times but also to in, uh, ensure that there is some letting go and renunciation which is uh, taking uh, uh, place and to in the mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out and the air element going into our body. It isn't helpful, neither for ourselves nor for others, to uh, put cigarettes into the mouth, tobacco and smoke. It's not helpful to smoke um, marijuana there and to really use our practices to work with discomfort, to work with agitation, to work with uh, problematic sensations taking place uh, uh, in the body there and to really be committed to that as a healthy and healing uh, process. And that's important to remember uh, as well because very easily the sensitivity, as Jen was just referring to a moment ago, does develop, particularly in the meditation hall, in the kitchen area in close proximity. <coughs> and the, 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 the smells of such do arise and it does uh, affect uh, other people around. And on the same thread, not only with regard to uh, smoking, and also with regard to smells, some mention has been made time to time here over the days just with regard to learning to work with and be comfortable with discomfort. To see that these days as part of our practice for a healthy and sustainable world. What I have in mind here is the uh, use of um, perfumes and aftershaves. I appreciate that often on retreats that isn't taking place but I do think it's a valuable area for complete renunciation. And when one gives consideration to that in the European Union, 
more money is spent in one week on perfumes and aftershaves there in one week than what is given by the EU to poor African nations. So it's another area. If we wish to make a contribution there, that money just for sweet-smelling stuff in which there is a cartel with the perfume industry to keep the prices very, very high. There's an agreement which they have between them because the profits are massive there to use that money if you do use such products and give that money to give support to the poor. And so we start to really look at what we use, what we consume, what, what we eat, what we drink and take real care and mindfulness and just look at and quite often in the exploration of that there is much more happiness in life through the act of the generosity through the willingness to give through the willingness to share and to offer and then to get and to gain and these are areas I appreciate they're not easy the addiction level to um, uh, what should we call it smelling nice um, is very, very uh, strong. It is exploited through that industry. Some of that exploitation, just in some of the names of the products, poison, <laughs> opium, it's, and it's very, very intentional. It is to remind people of not feeling good about themselves. Mm -hmm. So these kind of labels get used, or the positive ones, Nirvana and uh, 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 others, to encourage the purchase of the goods which are expensive, and that consequence uh, uh, of that, there is much less money for those who desperately need it. We do not need these products. Do not be a victim of the marketing. Here in the days here, and just uh, that, in all the little portals and aspects of the, uh, the physical life, it would be and is a great practice to really be clear about the event in relationship to this small little hole here. <laughs> and it's two-directional. Mindfulness of what comes in and mindfulness, that's the spoken word, of what goes out. If we, say, if we just said to ourselves, my practice is everything which I put in, and everything which comes out of the mouth in relationship to others, one would have a really great practice. Because we have to find the voice. We have to look at the anger and the blame and uh, the fault finding and all that which comes out of the mouth and to see other, other ways of communicating. We need to be able to listen more easily to, uh, uh, to other uh, human beings and rather than interrupt and have the answers and again find, find fault, just to quietly listen and be really attentive to the real needs of others and to try to ensure that what we, we speak has a simple criteria to it. It's true and it's useful. It is true and it is useful. And if that... Uh, aspect of that is really 
uh, a real mindfulness practice for us, it's going to significantly change our relationships with other people. Because we understand what's valuable and what's, Im- what's important. And when sometimes we lose it, we get upset, we're angry, we're shouting, we're blaming, we're finding fault, we're rubbishing the other human being, or whatever it is. We have a duty, and the word Dharma also means duty. We have a, a duty to apologise. We have a duty to ask for forgiveness. We have a duty to express our regret at what we have said or what we have written. And trusting that in the voice of the apology there, that the other persons or, or persons you know, can hear and have real sense that we, we mean it and we really are working on ourselves to act in wise and clear and uh, caring ways. So I say, therefore, the small little event is easy to find. It's just below your nose and it's just above your chin. It's quite easy to find. With the inner and the outer uh, uh, work, working together, it will transform our life. Just, just one area of day-to-day mindfulness. Great practice. With the other areas, just uh, there, that... that if we have food issues, not necessarily around the diet, but it's on our mind uh, a lot, it may mean that other areas of our life do require greater nourishment. Yeah. And therefore, do please use here and elsewhere eyes and uh, ears, nose and a touch. Most people will say, um, Oh, I love the nature. You know, it, it, it's, it's rhetoric, it, it's uh, quite often um, a nice idea, but the actuality of it is to really check with ourselves, and it would be worthwhile here to do a little uh, reflection, and in that reflection to really ask, how much time do I spend in the nature, and I'm not talking to somebody one can go for a nice long walk with somebody, the nature is hardly noticed. So, oh, look at that cockatoo flying. Yap, 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 yap. And the voice is all in the, in the chat, chat, chat line. To be, to be in the nature requires of us a certain kind of uh, silence and uh, agreement. We, that is, uh, myself and friends, in around 12 or 13 countries now, um, are having these silent yatras, pilgrimages there. And we walk in the silence to give, in single file, to give the opportunity for, to really experience the nature. The wind and the breeze and the heat and the, and the plants and the earth under, under our uh, feet. So I say, it really would be worthwhile, while here, a little reflection. And be honest with yourself, how much time do you spend in the nature? You can be a farmer. It doesn't mean to say you spend any time in the nature. You can be sitting in the, uh, those larger machineries, the tractors. You can have your uh, noise cancellation uh, earphones on because of the noise of the tractor. One's not in the nature. One is in a metal box going from A to B, up and down in the field. So it's quite a commitment because in our alienation from our distance uh, from there. So there are lots of Valuable reminders here, every time we're outdoors, much of the time of the day is an outdoor practice. 
and in the period of time outdoors, have a little reflection, take a few notes there. Am I really committed to really spending time in the nature? And the nature will help to nourish us in, and inform us and, uh, and, 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 and give us much which is precious. But we need the intimacy, we always need the closeness uh, for that. Thirdly, is in the, is in the action. You remember the intention, actions and results. It may be again here that some vision arises for you, some fresh idea, a, a precious thought may arise of what I could do. Therefore, it would be an activity. And that activity would be for the perhaps for the welfare of another or others, or animals or the environment, or all, all, all three, and also for ourselves as well. If something is insightful, if there is authenticity in that idea, in that thought there, if it has a validity to it, it will lead to an action. It, it, it will make a difference. <coughs> the thought itself doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to, have to be kind of cathartic uh, uh, inside. Sometimes it's the lightest of the thoughts which hardly we just about notice. But in that noticing, that mindfulness of the very light thought with no intensity, no big wake-up, no drama that goes with it, that thought may be the thought that brings the action. Great insights are not confirmed by the intensity of an experience. Trust me, I've listened to millions of experiences there. And sometimes people will say to me, God, oh, because I've had this incredible experience and it's changed my life and it's, God, it's really woke me up, and etc., etc. It does sound, for the poor teacher, very, very convincing. <laughs> and by the end of the retreat, the person's <coughs> forgotten what it was. <laughs> and someone else hardly noticed something, a small initiative, but it sets the direction in, in life. So I mean with regard uh, to that. If the small idea, or the dramatic idea of change, uh, which comes, uh, that might be worthwhile taking a, a brief note, or a real commitment, a dedication to remembering it, so that it does actually get applied. And sometimes the expression of that is, what I can do, or what I need to change, or what I need to let go of. And as you know, the, the Dharma, the, the Buddha, very committed to, to change, impermanence, anicca, uh, this word. And it's not only experiencing of anicca, which is what ha often happens in the, the tradition, it's making anicca. It's making that which needs to change, change. It's the generation, it's the disruption of the old pattern. It's the formation of the new expression. All of that is implied uh, in change. It's important if it's deep, it will have uh, a genuinely beneficial. Do remember, in the time you're here, those things which you know you need to drop, 
those things you know, which you know you need to start and initiate and that those things which are precious and beautiful in your life and you need to sustain and, and remain committed to. So we're not in a teaching of just being here and now. Do you know, you know the words here and now do not exist in 10,000 discourses of the Buddha? Not in, not in, it's not, not, not reference to it. The, re- the reference is Dharma Ditte is a language and Dharma is teachings and practices and Ditte is the view. How we view situations. That's what the teachings are about. It's not an ideology of, of being and now and cut everything out. You know? Buddha doesn't want us to be imprisoned into the here and now. He's a liberation teacher. And therefore, in the relationship to that, sometimes our view is of the present. Yes, of course it is. The present is important. It is significant. But it's not to be confined to it. And therefore, some reflection is genuinely valuable. And that reflection may be a look at today, or look at yesterday, or this week. One or two points stand out. I really want to put that into the daily life. I want to take it from yesterday or the day before or recent weeks or whatever. See its application here, if that is possible, and sometimes it is, and be quietly committed to making it happen in the future. Our view of, with clarity and insight, then can carry from the past, recent past, to the present and to the future. And we're interested in those kind of insights. That which we can apply. If you have a great idea with a lot of emotion and intensity behind it or just a thought uh, about it and nothing happens, a fantasy. A nice fantasy, uh, but a fantasy. It had no power to it. It has no, had no authority to it. Yeah. So, really... So we're working with the breath and the body. I'll speak a little bit more as well, if I may, about uh, uh, today, uh, of course. And to really let the quiet commitment there to the four postures. And in the the daily life, both here and in uh, other aspects of our daily life, there are the formal periods. You work and uh, uh, you, you study, you, you do the necessary jobs and tasks, and these are the kind of formal periods. But also to recognize here, and kind of left hand and right hand, and what I mean by that is there's lots of times when it's rather formless. These are, these are precious, much. Um, exploration here of form and formless. So there's the form of the sitting. There's the form of the standing posture. There's the form of the slow, meditative, mindful walking. The form of the horizontal posture with the stillness. And we might say we could include the form of the, uh, of the uh, eating mindfully and consciously and with the nourishing food. But what about all the other hours of the day? How are we, when we're just walking from A to B, when we're having a, a quiet time, uh, perhaps under the shade in the, in the trees, uh, we're in our room, we're uh, in the toilet, we're brushing out teeth, 
having the various quiet moments, etc., uh, to really be present and accessible and available to that. Not with the act of willpower, but with a kind of quiet interest in just the ordinary, small, everyday things there. So we're really having a look. Wow, my day has form in it, as it does in our daily life. And also my day has the form less. And both can mutually support each other. And therefore, there is a real sense that if there is love and empathy and interest in the whole of the day, it will be that interesting and we feel that connected we will hardly have any interest in indulging in memories, in fantasizing and speculating, hopefully or fearfully, about the future, personally or uh, uh, globally. And our primary sense was, is each day is really full, it is rich, it is diverse, we can connect with that. And when we do have some valuable, some thought about the past, some memory, there'd be some quiet authority really to see clearly. Is One knows it's not an indulgence. One is learning something from it, getting some insights from it, seeing things about the past we hadn't seen before. And we may, may not be easy, but we're grateful because we do not wish to leave any stone unturned. So I've put in one of my... Uh, uh, poems um, some, some time ago let us be able to wander and explore and go into the dark corners of the mind let's be able and have the capacity to touch upon the really light areas and, and bring out something and that applies to the past and it applies to the future so we have the fullness of the day but we appreciate there's a rhythm of evolutionary life, the unfoldment of our existence, and we are human beings and we can reflect on the past and the future. When you look in here, you know, we're in a Buddhist centre. Uh, uh, sometimes, for some of us, of course, we're very much used to uh, the uh, religious environment. I'm not a Buddhist myself, but I really appreciate the opportunity and the kindness and the generosity of the invitation, in this case of Bhikkhu Panyavaro and the monastery centre here to invite us to be here. And though sometimes with the religious life, it is not everybody's cup of tea, but... I would say also, also uh, on the uh, supportive side, it's quite often that so much kindness and generosity and the act of the gift makes these things possible there. And it's through people, both Asian, uh, people who are resident here in Australia, uh, and Australians who have been here for uh, many uh, uh, generations, whose kindness and gifts puts this together. And I was hearing uh, uh, from Jen as well that I think it was one person from Myanmar came and he very kindly brought a lot of food which was given to uh, Tea Cozy there as an offering and, and as an appreciation for our practice. 
And the, the, the facilities and centres like this really uh, help to make things uh, 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 possible. And when you, 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 you come in and you, you see the Buddha uh, uh, images uh, 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 there, there's many ways to look at it. That's probably one of the best ways for the meditator is a reminder of a good posture. <laughs> yeah, etc. And when, when, you, when you see the uh, right hand on the, uh, and the fingers pointing down to the earth, it's called a mudra, M-U-D-R-A, Sanskrit word, in which the posture is representational. It's pointing to something uh, there. So after the uh, awakening, the Buddha made the comment that the earth is the witness um, to the awakening. And what is essentially mentioned by that, that the teachings are very much around this relationship of human beings to the earth, the dependent arising conditions, the exploration of uh, all of that, and the teachings are not disconnected from the earth. The earth is the uh, the witness. So you see that in that one there. And sometimes you see it over there, uh, that the, the standing Buddha there with the two hands pointing forward. Probably, perhaps he remembered he was a traffic policeman in his last life or something. <laughs> uh, 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 there. But um, more essentially with this particular mudra of the, of the two hands, stop, be still, slow down, be present, be receptive, chill out. That's the message you get with the mudras uh, there. And there are a whole variety, obviously. The two hands in the lap is uh, the meditation uh, uh, mudra and, uh, and uh, a few others as, as well. So sometimes in the small event, um, with the symbolic aspect, in this case there, it's a small reminder uh, uh, to us of, of uh, meditations, staying close to uh, the earth, slowing down, stopping, being mindful and conscious uh, human, human beings. And this is something of the background to these particular um, postures there. <clears throat> Just finally, with the, with the day that we have. We began on the first day and giving primary... Um, practice in the sitting posture to mindfulness of breathing. The Buddha once uh, uh, commented with um, some degree of enthusiasm, I uh, might say, he's, he made an unusual kind of thing for uh, him to say. He said, of all the meditation practices of my goodness, we're talking about India here, and there are many, many, many uh, of them, he feels... He could not um, name, <clears throat> or he said, the mindfulness of breathing practice offers so many benefits uh, there which he could not see in some other kinds of meditation practice. And what, a, uh, what is referred to here, in the mindfulness breathing, it generates a connection of subject, which is the mindfulness, with the object, which is called the breath. The mindfulness of breathing contributes to the harmony of heart, mind and body. The mindfulness of breathing develops the power of concentration so that we can stay 
concentrate and stay steady. The mindfulness of breathing reminds us of reduction of stress, greater relaxation, the calmness of the whole being through using the breath as a resource. The mindfulness of uh, breathing allows us to be more receptive to what is deep. It also, in the practice, with calm and clarity, can touch very sweet places inside the being of happiness, natural happiness, of uh, joy, of, uh, of inner peace. The mindfulness of breathing is a reminder in every breath of our dependency and our interconnectedness with the air element, which comes from outside of us, obviously, and we receive. And therefore a human being does not have any self-existence. Not for a single moment can we be without the environment to support us, to enable us to be. And each breath that we take is a very clear reminder to us of our interconnectedness and our ongoing relationship with the world uh, around. And of course, the practice has contributed as well to our insights, to realisation, to waking uh, uh, up, the interrelationship of the elements, uh, which I spoke to you about the other evening there. Having, uh, when I remember looking at that text and uh, read, reading that, I thought, that is a pretty persuasive argument <laughs> to engage in mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> and of course there are many other practices, but also as well to remember, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not one has to be practicing mindfulness of breathing. One can come to great liberations, great insights, immense opening of the heart and the mindfulness of breath simply for some people in the Dharma Hall and elsewhere. It just does not work for her or him. We may hear the good voices in that way, but first and foremost, the great Pali statement, Ehi pasiko o panayiko pachatam vedita bo vinyuti. We must see for ourselves, through our own experience, what contributes to insight. We must, it, it is core in the teaching. We must see for ourselves what contributes to our own insight uh, and, 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 and trust in that. <coughs> we finish breath and then we brought in a little bit more yesterday uh, uh, the body that uh, reminder again if I may please to be in touch with the body is to reduce the impact and the obstructive perception of the self image which is a nightmare in people's lives and just hearing of youngsters children who sometimes have a a self image (coughs) as well as teenagers and adults, which is then leading to a low sense of self-worth, it's leading to self-harm, and something in the image has been built (coughs) built up uh, there, and the outcome of that. When one reads in the newspapers as well, in a a single generation, I I, I was reading, and I know some of you work in these areas, and (coughs) know far more than I do, it was just a generation ago, it was generally, this is in, in Britain, 
and it's probably typical here in Australia and other countries uh, as well, that people getting depressed and feeling low and down and requiring medication or going for medication a few minutes with their physician, their doctor and receives a medication. The age was generally thought to be around the late 20s and into the 30s. That was a gen- generation uh, ago. The age is now down to 14 in a generation of young people unhappy, feeling lonely and isolated, feeling unloved and judged, not good enough, envious of, uh, of others. And parents are just pulling their hair out, not knowing what to do. Go to see the doctor, and all the doctor do, can do is to prescribe some medication. Something is seriously uh, amiss. And we need to really look after our kids and our friends' kids and, and give them maximum um, uh, love and support and give them a sense that they are alive and, they're, and they have real worth and have much to, and are contributing much just by being uh, being alive. And we've got to keep our hearts, eyes and ears open. Uh, it's, it's tragic what has happened in the space of a generation or two. To all of our practice, always in the service of the being, in service of the, be- the being of the uh, other. In the meditations on the body, as we did a little bit yesterday, it might be that you have noticed, over days, weeks, months, years, whatever, certain areas of the body which might require a little bit more mindfulness and attention. And everything from tension in the shoulders to contraction around the throat to tightness in the chest to anxieties in the stomach, the knee pains or whatever it might be. Be calm with the mindfulness of the breathing. Just be willing to go into the, what should we call them, the hot spots. To really look carefully, mindfully and just explore those uh, uh, areas and as you do explore those areas putting the mind it's not thinking it's putting the mindfulness directly into that location just to see whether that area can just open up a little bit which would mean in fact just to see more changes so rather than oh I have so much pain in my back there which is the generalized statement and one says okay let me see if I can Quietly, mindfully, in a relaxed way, just approach, sorry, apply the mindfulness to that area, see the outer edges of it, see if one can explore from above and beneath and the sides, see if, one, if there's a kind of epicenter uh, with it, and just quietly checking the relaxation of the rest of the body in that location and help to expand and open it up uh, there. And there might be, of course, more than one place in the body. Really is a worthwhile practice unto itself, because one's really in touch with the organic life, but also as a metaphor for other situations. Can I approach that directly, but in a relaxed uh, way? Some here will be, uh, what should we say, blessed, in the body is you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, but there is no specific area or areas where you're 
in a state of endurance or struggling with in your medi- uh, meditations. Then one can sit there, not ne- needing to go to any specific place, but be fully aware of the whole body sitting or walking or standing from head to toes, just to sit in the full presence of the whole body with a, a view that goes with it. And it's an important view. It's not enough just to be mindful of the whole body experience. Beneficial, beneficial no it is. What I mean by that, to witness, lovely word, I nearly gave my daughter this name, Sakshi, that's the word for witness, to witness the body in such a way that it is not being viewed as I or my. So with the I, when it's viewed in the I, then it's I am sitting here. The I cannot sit. Not a chance. The body sits. It can be viewed, switch over again, and then it can be viewed as my. So it goes from a complete identification with to a possession. My leg, my body. And we hardly realise that even those two positions of I and my are in contradiction. One refutes the other. The body, I can't say I am sitting here in one moment, therefore I am the body. And the next moment have a different relationship in which the body is a possession, like my watch and my uh, glass of water and whatever it might be. One refutes the other. Therefore, neither are true. And to see clearly and more factually, the body is a composition of the elements. It is a manifestation of evolutionary life. It is um, an expression of nature. It is a composition of the cells. It's the formation of a human being. And therefore, in the relationship to the body, we're not withdrawing, no detachment, we're very respectful, we're caring, we are loving, and we are seeing the body as an expression of the nature. That would be hard to argue with. We didn't ask to be born. We didn't ask the parents that we were born with. We didn't ask for the location that we uh, ended up with, etc. It's not like we're in somewhere in outer space and, well, I think I'll... I think I'll try this crowd. <laughs> Here we are. And in the emergence of all of that, and all of this that we uh, experience, in the meditation, mindfulness of breathing with love, with respect, with acknowledgement and clarity, to see, to use the words from the old text, to see the body as the body. With all the presence and clarity and understanding that we can bring to it, to really see it well and clearly, therefore not as I and my, 
but more, as I say, as a, a formation of the nature. Today, so each person, you look to see what might be worthwhile for you today. Another, today, taking a step further today, and this is to move away from body uh, and mind, and to, not fully, but to give more presence to the state of mind and the feeling tone which goes uh, with it. And that applies again in all of the four uh, postures. Extraordinary thing with the state of mind, that's right. So, if, or being well, state of mind is calm and clear, let's feel one's comfortable, feels comfortable, I feel happy, contented to be here, you have no wish to uh, do anything else, and the thoughts of get me out of here, past, or etc., or might come later, or whatever it might be, and just incidentally, just to mention that there were two or three people here who were here part-time. So they didn't run out screaming. They, uh, we knew they were, they were coming. We knew where they were, they were, uh, they were going. I think one, one person uh, left, it wasn't for him, but uh, two or three others, as I mentioned, uh, part-time. So with the, the state of mind, uh, there might be some restlessness or agitation. Can we explore our practices for postures to rather than identify with it all? Just practicing, just what would help me to chill out with what's going on. There may be in the meditations uh, suddenly a, a story arises, and you might find yourself entering into some internal conversation about somebody you're going to see after this retreat. And the view then arises inside oh, I'm going to say this then she or he will say that. I promise you, they don't keep to the script. (laughs) (laughs) And one can spend rather a lot of time imagining what you will say and imagining what their response will will be. Let it go, let it go. The calm and clarity that we have, that will be the best support for us and in fact for the other person uh, uh, as, uh, as well. Sometimes the meditations and the postures are genuinely going very, very well. Be mindful of willpower. So one, there's a sense of settling in, being um, clear and steady with all the presence that can go with it. But then the thought can arise, well, if I sit longer, if I push myself a bit harder, then that will take me deeper. It will probably generate more stress. The self, in the form of the willpower, has got in, and it starts putting pressure, and out of that pressure will come some reaction. There's a certain kind of quiet trust in the organic process. One just quietly does one's practice, stay steady with it. Of course, some of you may like to come and say sit earlier or in the hall or sit a bit longer, etc. But just to 
be mindful of not using the willpower. Organic life uh, is vulnerable to the willpower and it tends to react to it. Keep that. Uh, Same principle, all three uh, steps or stages we might say. If it feels appropriate for you, of course stay quietly committed to the breathing. Feels it's important to really work with the body, both those areas of pain, tension, discomfort, health issues, or whatever. Just quietly work with it. Use your power of your mindfulness. If it feels in the as well as in the sitting, the presence of the whole body, no image, no I and my, just the nature, and staying close and steady with it. And thirdly, just real sense of what is the state of mind uh, and with that the kind of the polarities of that so it may be calm or it may be restless it may be kindness in the mind or it may be negativity it may be appreciation and gratitude or it may be resentment it may be really being present or kind of living in the past or future so really make the state of mind uh, just to be really clear about its condition. Uh, and the cl- clarity will <coughs> contribute to the harmony. All right, enough said. Thank you for listening, Leah. Let's, uh, let's have some uh, sitting uh, meditation. Just to repeat, feels appropriate with the breath, appropriate with the body, appropriate with the state of mind. All in uh, your good views. <laughs>